Welcome to Divine Truth Podcast with Dr. Stephen M. Huffman. Michael is a senior pastor with Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. The purpose of this podcast is to teach and edify God's people through a verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. To learn more about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. And now, here is Pastor Michael Huffman. First Corinthians chapter three, First Corinthians chapter three, and after you have found that, I have respect for God's word. If you please stand as we read our text, First Corinthians chapter number three, uh, beginning in verse number one. The apostle Paul says, "And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ." I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, teach us now, Lord, we pray your word in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. There's uh, it's a little doubt that the, that the Christian life is not easy. Little doubt about little doubt about that. In fact, I would say that the longer that you live as a believer, that it that it becomes increasingly more difficult and becomes increasingly more demanding. Christ solves all of our important problems. He brings us peace. He brings us joy. He brings us meaning. He brings us purpose. And many other blessings that Christ brings us that unbelievers know nothing about. But the Christian life, even at the same time, even with all that being true, the Christian life is not easy. In fact, in many ways, living is far more demanding now than it was before you became a Christian. And in some worldly ways, let's be real, in some worldly ways, you experience more worldly joy then than you do now in some ways. How is this so? How is it that we have God's Spirit dwelling in us? We have, as we saw in chapter 2, we, we have the mind of Christ. We have the power of God. How is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult for Christians to do the right thing. 
How is it so difficult to just, for us just to do what the Lord wants us to do? Well, there's two words, or there's two answers to that question. And the answers are this, the world and the flesh. The world and the flesh. The first is outside of us, and the other is inside of us. And you know, folks, the world and the flesh are Satan's supreme instruments in tempting believers and in keeping them from victory and faithfulness. You know, the prophet Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 25, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you. And this is a reference to what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus, when he said, You'll be whosoever is not born of the water and the word. He's referring to Ezekiel 36 here. For then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you. Don't you like that? not help you, cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And what a wonderful truth that is. But the truth is also we have the world and the flesh. When a person becomes a Christian, he also becomes a new creation, right? You all know that very well. He becomes a new creation with a new nature. He has a new inner being. He has a new favorable disposition toward God. None of which a person can have apart from Jesus Christ. And from that point on, until the Lord takes that person to be with himself, he is swimming upstream, aren't we? Every believer is swimming upstream. And just like the salmon that's swimming upstream, the believer soon discovers that gravity and the current are continually against him. The new heart he has drives him in a completely different direction. But the current works against him and tries to draw him back. You know, in the history of the church, in the history of Christianity, at least in my little short uh, 35 years, did y'all not get that? It says, no, I got it, I just don't think it's funny. In my short little time on this earth compared to some of you out there, The church is often thought of worldliness as dancing, alcohol, drinking, smoking, and things like that. But the fact is, folks, worldliness goes a lot deeper than that. Worldliness is really not really an orientation, isn't it? Worldliness is really a way of thinking. Worldliness is a way of believing. Worldliness is really buying into the world's philosophies. Buying human wisdom. It is, 
it is looking to the world, to human leaders, to influential, influential or popular people, to neighbors, to associates, and to fellow students for, for our standards, for our attitudes, for our meaning. And worldliness is accepting the world's definition, the world's measuring stick, and the world's goals. That's what worldliness is. And the second great obstacle that faces every Christian other than the world is the flesh. Because the flesh is the bridge that the world uses to reach us. It can't reach us on its own, so it uses our flesh to get to us. I'm, I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul says to us about that bridge. Romans chapter 7, verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. In other words, the things that I do, I hate. I don't want to do them. But what I do, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. And then verse 19 of Romans 7, For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. What's Paul's dilemma here? Paul's dilemma here is the same dilemma that every, every believer has. Every time I turn around, I'm doing what I don't want to do and I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing the thing, I'm not doing the thing that I love. I'm doing the thing that I hate. Because the flesh is a powerful draw. The world is a powerful draw. That's outside of us. But the flesh that is inside of us is a powerful draw. Now there are signs and there are indicators that a believer is fleshy. And Paul in these nine verses gives to us some of those indicators of what a, what a Christian looks like when they are fleshy. Number one, the first marker of a fleshy Christian is spiritual infancy. Spiritual infancy. Look at verse number one. Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes, in Christ. You know, whenever something goes on in the church, it operates from more of the external or a worldly influence, doesn't it? But it is also internal. It is also fleshy. And I would say that the flesh is probably the most powerful negative influence. Not only, folks, did the church of Corinth succumb to the pressures of the world but they also succumb to the pressures and the enticements of their own flesh you know as and as believers there are many times when we need to be corrected for our immature sinfulness because sometimes we just act like a bunch of babies don't we sometimes we just act like a bunch of children you know, Paul refers to them as the Adelphos, the, the brothers, reminding them that they are not only truly saved, but they, they are also truly loved. 
First of all, listen church, no matter how fleshy you may become, you are still loved by God. Even though the carnality of the Corinthians, and even though our carnality is inexcusable, and folks, let me emphasize that, our carnality is always inexcusable. Whenever we become fleshy, that is always, always inexcusable. Because we have living inside of us the Holy Spirit that gives us every single bit of the power and ability and the drive that we need to live holy, and whenever we choose to live holy because of that, we're without excuse. People, a lot of people like to use that verse in the Psalms where, where the psalmist said, He knoweth my frame, he knows that I'm a dust. Well, you know, Pastor, God knows I'm only human. Y'all remember that song? I can't remember who originally sang it, but remember that song, One Day at a Time? I can't stand that song. When I can't stand that song because of the first verse, I'm only human. Now, that may have been a very noble lyric when it was written, but what people have done to it over the years may be far surpassed to what it was originally intended to convey. Because what have people used that to try to convey to the church today? Well, God knows I'm just human. Listen, whenever you excuse your sin because, well, I'm only human, that's a cop-out. And it's inexcusable. Being a fleshy, carnal Christian is inexcusable. If you're saved, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside you, and sin, fleshiness, is inexcusable. You say, what about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul didn't excuse himself, did he? He did the exact opposite. He confessed his shortcomings. He confessed his battle. He didn't make excuses for it. He says, I don't want to do it. I hate it. And every time I turn around, I'm, I'm carnal. I'm fleshy. And I hate it, but he didn't make excuses for it. Folks, listen, you will never ever in your life get the victory over being carnal if you don't, if you don't stop excusing it. Excusing it, excusing it by your family, excusing it by your work environment, excusing it by whatever means you want to use. Listen, any of us, when we're fleshy, it's inexcusable. But even though it's inexcusable, I'm thankful tonight that it never causes God from loving me. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Don't you like that? I was talking to a man one time who believed that you could lose your salvation, believed that you could walk away from grace, and I quoted him this verse, and he looked at me and said, Yeah, but you could pluck yourself out of God's hand. I was like, What? That's a twist on that verse I had never heard before. And oh, by the way, I hadn't heard it since. No, I'm thankful that I no man can pluck, pluck me out of my hand. It was Jana's neighbor. It's her fault. In John chapter 17 and verse 2. <laughs> used to be Jana's neighbor. John chapter 17 and verse 2. As thou hast given me him power over all flesh, that he may give eternal life to as many as thou hast given me. Him. What kind of life? Eternal life. So no matter how, understand church, no matter how fleshy, carnal you may be, if you belong to God, it doesn't ever stop Him from loving you. And I think that that's key to keep in mind because I think that what's Paul say? That it is the goodness and the love of God that brings us, that drives us to what? Repentance. 
And we need to keep in mind that God loves us, no matter how fleshy we are. And so Paul was reminding these believers that they're not only loved by God, but by calling them brothers, but you want to remind them that you're still loved by me. You're still loved by me. Because it is, folks, listen, it is not only true that a faithful friend will tell you when you're wrong. A faithful friend will tell you when you're wrong and warn you of the consequences of judgment based on your behavior. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, a verse that you're well familiar, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. The Apostle Paul was very faithful in telling believers when they were wrong. And a faithful, loving friend will always be faithful and loving to tell another believer when they're wrong. Not to prove a point, but to draw that person that's wrong to repentance. When Paul came to Galatia, I'll give you an example. When Paul came to Galatia, Peter was there, and Peter was getting along wonderfully with the Gentile believers that were there. But when you remember the story, but when the Jews showed up, Peter's entire attitude toward the Gentile believers in Galatia changed, and he began to align himself with the teachings of the Jews that he knew was in error. And because, and because the error caused harm and confusion among those believers. And so when Paul entered Galatia and found out what was going on, he would not let Peter remain in his sin, both for his good and the good of the church. And the Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, but when Peter was at Antioch, I withstood him to the face. I think that's very instructive. Paul's practice, when, he had a, when there was a believer in the church that was sinning, Paul didn't go around to the church discussing it with every other believer in the church of the sin of this brother what did Paul do Paul went straight to that brother and and withstood him to the face Paul said I went right to the source because church listen not only do you not show that you're loving when you go everywhere but to the person to whom has got the sin but there'll be no repentance for that sin because there's no confrontation over their sin because true friends Never diminish the seriousness of sin. As Paul, with his troubled church, he stood with them as a friend, not as a judge. However, it was, Paul was very clear that, that there was a big dilemma. There was a big problem in Corinth. It was spiritual infancy. Their flesh. They had become so overcome by flesh, by their flesh, that Paul says, I can't even speak to you as if you're spiritual men. Though they had come through the door of faith, they had gone no farther. Most of them had received Jesus Christ and his teachings earlier, but were acting like they had just been born again. They were saved, Paul says, but you're still a baby in Christ. That's a problem, church. As John Calvin notes, 
that they may understand that the fault was their own, which is why Paul uses the words that he uses, so that they may know that the fault was their own. And Paul says in verse 1, And I, brothers, could not speak unto you. Folks, listen, whenever there is a hint of carnality in the heart and the mind of the believer, we can never blame our surroundings. The fault is ours. The fault is always ours. You and I are the reason that we get fleshy, not our surroundings, not the people in our life. We are the reason that we get fleshy. We are the reason that we become carnal. We are the reason that we become worldly-minded. And Paul says, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual. I didn't have the ability. I couldn't speak to you as spiritual men because you're still babes in Christ. You know, when Paul first came to Corinth, he approached them with the gospel and they, they accepted it by faith. But the problem is they remained spiritual infants and so Paul had to address them as spiritual babies. Listen, when a sinner trusts Christ as Lord and Savior, there will always be areas in which the new believer is going to need to grow, right? Obviously, that goes without saying. There's always going to be areas where the new believers need to grow. Just as a newborn baby has areas physically that they need to grow. That's no problem. That's expected. In fact, we will keep growing, hopefully. We will keep growing until we reach heaven. But listen, church, when you've been saved 5, 10, 15 years, and your walk with the Lord, you're still tripping over the same spiritual hurdles today, 15 years later, 10 years later, 5 years later, that you were, hurling, that you were tripping over the day that you got saved. There's an issue. There's a problem. And it's called spiritual infancy. And spiritual infancy is a sign of carnality. Spiritual infancy is a sign of fleshiness. I mean, the Christian life is a life of growth. There's no doubt about that. And the Christian life is a life of falling back down and getting back up. And the Christian life is a life of, of trying to jump those hurdles of life and, and tripping over their hurdles. But there's an issue, folks, when we are tripping and falling over the same hurdles 15, 10 years later after we were saved that we were falling over the day we got saved. There's a, there's a problem. There's a problem. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto what? You know what the writer there is saying? Leave the ABCs of the things of God and go on unto maturity. There comes an issue, there comes a time in our life as believers where we leave the ABCs behind and we go on and, be, and become mature Christians. And even though our lives are lives of continual need for growth, there's also times in our lives of resolved moments of growth. There, there's there's going to be times in our life where God teaches us something and we get it. Right? I mean, there are going to be moments in our life where we, where we trip over hurdles repeatedly. But there's got to be moments in our life where God teaches us, brings us through something, and we get it. And when you're tripping over the same hurdles year after year after year after year, and you never learn the lesson, folks, there's an issue. I'm not saying that you're not saved. I'm saying you're carnal. I'm carnal. 
when that happens to me. We all are carnal. We all are fleshy. Because the first sign of carnality, Paul says, is spiritual infancy. And there's an issue when infancy remains in the believer's life. Because there needs to be a pattern of growth in our life, doesn't it? Needs to be a pattern of becoming more like Christ. Now, we understand the Bible talks about being spiritual in a couple of different ways. It talks about being spiritual positionally, and it talks about being spiritual practically. Now, unbelievers are totally unspiritual in both senses, but believe because they don't possess the spirit that makes them spiritual. But believers, on the one hand, are totally spiritual in the positional sense because we are given the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, and so we are totally spiritual on the positional sense. But practically speaking, I don't know about you, but I can be very unspiritual. I can be very carnal. Yeah, I said it. I've confessed it. I can be very carnal sometimes. And in chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, Paul contrasts the believers with unbelievers, and he uses the word spiritual in the contrast of their positional spirituality. And in the positional sense, there is no such thing as an unspiritual Christian or or a partially spiritual Christian. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is what? None of his. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. When we trust Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God takes charge in our lives and remains there until we die. And so there's never a moment where we are positionally unspiritual. But there are times when we are practically unspiritual. But I'm thankful tonight that God doesn't stop working on me, aren't you? I'm thankful tonight that Paul said in Romans 8, 28 that all things come together for good to those of us who are called according to his purpose. I'm thankful what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. But practically, we can be very unspiritual. And this was the problem with the Corinthian believers. And even though Paul addressed them as brothers, he made it very clear to them that that he was speaking to them on the very lowest spiritual level. What does he say? He says, I'm speaking to you. What's he say in verse 1? As unto carnal. As unto carnal. It, that, that word, in the, that phrase in the Greek literally means as belonging to the physical, as belonging to the flesh. Paul says, although you're saved, although you're in Christ, you are walking as though you belong to the world. Church, listen, we need to walk in our Christian life as though we belong to the one who saved us and not belong to the ones of, of this world of whom we are sojourning. I don't belong here. You don't belong here if you're a Christian. And we need to start walking in our Christian life as if we don't belong here. And we need to continue that walk. We wear the badge of Christian. But is our daily walk worldly? Is our daily walk fleshy? Do we walk in accordance to the old Adamic nature? Do we walk in accordance to the 
fleshly desires that manifest itself in our rebelliousness toward God. You know, unfortunately, when we were saved, the flesh was not eradicated from us. It's still there. Now, we're no longer ultimately dominated or controlled by it. It can't destroy us, but it can greatly influence us. That's why another reason Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies. What's Paul saying? Paul says, I can't wait to receive my glorified body. And there are a lot of reasons why I wish can't wait to receive my glorified body. One of the main reasons I can't wait to receive my glorified body is because I won't have to deal with my old Adamic nature anymore. That'll be gone. And there are times when I'm, I'm, I'm acting fleshy, I'm carnal in my mind or my actions or whatever it may be, and I groan within myself. My wife thinks I'm groaning at her. I'm not groaning at her, I'm groaning at myself. But man, I wish I could just shed this carnality. I wish I could just shed this flesh. John MacArthur says glorification in one sense will be less of a change than justification. Justification was transformation of the inner being. Glorification is the elimination of the outer being which bears the curse. And I can't wait. Because as believers, we don't want to be carnal. We don't want to be fleshy. But we fight the flesh. We fight carnality. But keep in mind, church, that the sinful nature no longer represents your basic nature. Now, when a Christian sins, he is practically unspiritual. He's never a time when he's positionally unspiritual, but when he sins, he's practically unspiritual. And, and when we sin, we're, we're living really on the same level as an unbeliever. And so Paul says, because of the way you're living, church, I'm forced to talk to you on the level of an unbeliever. Paul spent 18 months there. 18 months with this church. Discipling these believers, leading these unsaved people to the Lord. And how it must have broken his heart to come to hear and to write back to them. What in the world is going on? Why are you so carnal? So what is the, what's the sign of carnality? What's the sign of being a fleshly Christian? Spiritual inf infancy. The same things that get you mad today got you mad 10 years ago when you got saved. That's a sign of spiritual infancy. And if you're spiritually infant, if you have spiritual infancy, then you're well on your way to being spiritual carnal, if not already there. MacArthur again says the Corinthians were not unintelligent. Their problem was not low IQ or lack of teaching. They were not ignorant of the faith because they were dumb, but because they were fleshy. The cause was not mental, folks. It's spiritual. The cause for most Christians being fleshly, unspiritual people is not bad preaching, but it's because of their own spiritual realities. Because they refuse 
to give up their worldly ways and their carnal desires. They become what James calls a forgetful hearer. In James chapter 1, verse 25, he says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. Listen, a person who does not use information will lose it, and spiritual truth is no exception. Spiritual truth, church, that is ignored and neglected will become less and less remembered and meaningful. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Wherefore, while I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth, yea, I think it is meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. What's Peter say? I'm going to constantly be reminding you of the basic stuff. Because it needs to be stirred up in your life. Because if you don't use it, church, you're going to forget it. There's no such thing as never forgetting how to ride a spiritual horse or how to ride, not ever forgetting how to ride a spiritual bike. You can forget. And truth, spiritual truth that is not used, is forgotten and meaningless and results in a spiritual baby. Results in a person that's been saved for years, maybe. But doesn't use the truth that they know. And the same things that tripped them up when they got saved, trip them up now. And they're either at this present moment, probably are carnal, or they're well on the way to being carnal because, number one, they're spiritual because of their spiritual infancy. They refuse to grow, and they remain spiritually impotent. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Listen, folks, you can't have verse 1 if you want verse 2. If you're going to desire the word of God and you're going to grow, you can't have the characteristics of verse 1, which means this. If you want to grow, verse 2, you cannot be carnal. You cannot be carnal. So if you think, as you think about the, the steps of being a carnal Christian, as Paul lays it out for us here in 1 Corinthians 3, the first one is spiritual infancy. Spiritual infancy. The second one I'm, 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 uh, I'm pretty proud of myself, don't be offended, but also spiritual infancy, but spiritual indigestion. Spiritual indigestion. Verse 2. Paul says, I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able to bear it. What's the signs of spiritual carnality? Number one, spiritual infancy. Number two, spiritual indigestion. The same truths that choked you 10 years ago choke you now. That's trouble. Because not only should we be growing in our walk with the Lord, but we should be growing in our understanding of and our submission to the truth of God's Word. And if you're rebellious against truth today, that you were rebellious against 10 years ago, 5 years ago, there's a problem in your spiritual walk, and it may be carnality. It may be carnality. 
but we'll develop that more next time. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time we've had tonight in your word. We pray and trust, Father, that it has been beneficial to your people. We ask, Father, that you would guide us this week, that we may walk in your ways and obey your commandments and do those things that you would have us do. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.